If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open to the Gospel of Luke again. We'll be in Luke chapter 18, and we will begin in verse 9 in just a moment. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And you remember, if you've been following along, that Jesus is telling a couple of parables about prayer. He's talked about the kingdom. He's talked about its timing. And, um, and last time we looked at this, he, he told a parable, about a, prayer, uh, a parable about prayer, and he used kind of an odd, uh, an odd p- word picture, I guess you'd say, about a persistent widow in a certain city, and, and she uh, went to this unjust judge. Remember, he didn't fear God, he didn't have any respect for people, and yet she went to him over and over and over again, and finally it wore him out and said, you know what, I'll just give her what she asked for, just to get her off my back. And Jesus used that as a contrast to our good and loving Heavenly Father and then went, uh, used this, how much more then should you expect as his, as his child that God would answer your prayers, hear and answer your prayers, and, uh, and bring about justice for you. Now today we're going to look at, a prayer, at prayer from a different angle. This time we're going to be talking about the importance of the attitude that we have while we're praying. In other words, it's not enough simply that we pray, but it, it, it's also important how we pray, the attitude that we have while we are approaching the Lord. Now again, he's using a parable, which is an earthly story with the heavenly meeting. It's going to teach us something about, about God and about prayer. So if you found Luke 18 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 9 and uh, read down to verse 14. And he, was also, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there are three things I want you to see in our text today. The first is in verse 9. I want you to see the proud audience. The proud audience. Thankfully, much like this first parable, first parable in, in Luke chapter 18, the Bible tells us what all, what all this is about. Now, in, in chapter 18, uh, in the first part, it tells us specifically the lesson that we're supposed to get out of this, and that was that we should pray at all times and, and not lose heart, not grow faint, and so forth. Now, the Bible in this case doesn't give us an interpretation of the parable, but it, comes, it gives us the next best thing. In verse 9, it tells us who this is addressed to, who the audience is, and then at the end, Jesus gives us the main thrust, and he says, this is the lesson. Okay, so he doesn't interpret every single thing, but he gives us almost everything uh, on, on a silver platter. But I want you to look at verse 9 again, and notice who the audience is. Verse 9 says that they were people who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and viewed others with contempt. In other words, these people were proud. They were self-satisfied, they were self-righteous. They had a distorted view, both of their own goodness, but also their lack of sin. They thought that they didn't have sin, or he thought he didn't have sin. And there were a lot of people like that in the group that Jesus was addressing. And instead of counting on Christ and his righteousness, they're relying on their own righteousness. They're relying on their own good works and getting in good with God by the things that they had done. They thought of their relationship with God 
as a checklist. If I just do this, this, and this, if I, if I keep the law on, in all these external things, if I don't uh, cheat my neighbor, if I don't uh, sleep around, if I don't steal, if I don't do all these different things, then I'm in good with God. And that was their idea of goodness. And so this led naturally to them viewing others with contempt. And maybe you've noticed this, but I've noticed that a lot of times people who have, I'll just call it legalism, or legal, this legalistic framework, that if you just do these certain acts that you're in good with God, I've noticed that those people have their own list, and their neighbor, who is also legalistic, has a different list, and they both, they both think that if you don't do their list, you're in the wrong. Have you ever noticed somebody, something like that? Well, that's what these people did. They had this, this, external, this list of external things, and if you just did these things, you were righteous. You were in good with God. You had nothing to worry about. He thought pretty highly of you. And, and, and so consequently, if people didn't live up to their standards, to, to their list, then they viewed them with contempt. Now the word contempt here the, in the original language means to despise, to regard as being of no account. It's that stereotypical, no stuck up in the air type of personality, you know, the, the people can't hardly stand to be around. That's the type of person that Jesus was addressing. They're in our day and they were in Jesus' day as well. And it could be that you could put your name in this Pharisee spot. It could be that you think about your own life, you think about your relationship with the Lord, and you, you're counting on your good works to get you in good with God. It could be that you're just thinking, well, if, if, if God just looks at my life, He puts me in the scale, hopefully He'll see that I'm, I'm trying to live out the golden rule, I'm trying to go to church regularly, I'm trying to uh, give money in the offering plate, I'm trying to, you know, at, at, I try to take my Bible to work, I, I try to uh, pray over my lunch at school, I try to do whatever it is. So, therefore, that's going to get me in good with God. That's going to weigh things in my favor. It could be that, that that's what you're counting on. But listen, if you're hoping to get in good with God, if you're hoping to be made right with God by the things that you do, you're hopeless. That cannot happen. The only way to be get in right with God and to be right with God is through Jesus Christ. You cannot get right with God any other way. So we have the proud audience. Next, I want you to see the praying sinners. The praying sinners. Look at verses 10 and following. Two men went to the temple to pray. Now, this was a common activity. The temple was their center of, of their worship. And so they would go during certain times of the day to pray. They had certain prayer times. And they would go and they would offer in, the, there would be people gathered in these, in these courtyards at certain times of the day to pray. It was a corporate thing. Uh, and and they, would, they would go to the temple in order to do that. But even though they both went to pray, and you look at Adam on the outside and you say, well, they're both on, on the same footing. They both went with different reasons, for different reasons, and they had very different results. The first one that's mentioned in verse 10, or verse 11, rather, is the Pharisee. <coughs> Pharisee. Now, we've talked about the Pharisees a number of times, especially if we've, as we've looked through Luke. But the Pharisees were religiously and theologically uh, and, and politically conservative. These were the guys that, that were fanatical about trying to keep the whole law of God. They saw it as a very important thing to do all that the law said. And on top of that, to do the things that the rabbis said that you should do. I mean, they, they had all kinds of rules about everything. And so that's the type of person. They, they were highly esteemed in, in Judaism. And so that's the first person that went to pray. And at the beginning, they, they were this own, their own sect, this own, their own group that was set apart 
as being devoted to God, of, of, of focusing on Him and His law, and it started out good, but by the time of Christ, it had, had devolved into mere externalism. They thought their righteousness with God consisted of keeping your nose clean, of doing these external things, of keeping these outward things the law. They were very righteous on the outside. Jesus himself said they, they cleaned the outside of the cup. They, they took care of the outside, the part that man sees. But the Bible says God doesn't look as man looks. He looks on the heart. And many of them were, were puffed up with self-righteousness and pride. Now there's a quote that has survived down through history from a rabbi. And I don't know if he was a Pharisee or not, but, but his words certainly reflect the attitude of a Pharisee. And this is a real quote. This is not made up. Let me share it with you. Rabbi Simeon, the son of Jokai, says, said, The whole world is not worthy, sorry, quote, The whole world is not worth 30 righteous persons, such as our father Abraham. If there were only 30 righteous persons in the world, I and my son should make two of them. But if there were but 20, I and my son would be of that number. And if there were but 10, I and my son would be of that number. And if there were but five, I and my son would be of the five. If there were but two, I and my son would be those two. And if there were but one, myself should be that one. Can you imagine saying that? This guy not only said it, he wrote it. Now that's the attitude that is in view here of this, of this Pharisee. He is puffed up with pride. He thinks that if there's only one righteous person in the world, he is it. He is in, the, he is in that crowd. And Jesus confronts that, and he says, look at verse 11. Look at, look at how he's described. This Pharisee first, he stood and prayed to himself. He stood. Now, I just want to pause. That's not a huge deal. We, we stand when we pray. We did just a little bit ago. We took up the offering before we sat down. We prayed. We prayed standing. That in itself is not a huge deal. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt lie on thine face to pray. It doesn't say you have to kneel. It doesn't say you have to pray. Uh, standing, it just says pray. At all times, without ceasing, in all circumstances. Their usual mode of of prayer, their posture in prayer, was to stand and pray. That is not bad in and of itself. But you'll notice that Jesus highlights the fact that he stood. I think the reason is because he's saying he stood to get attention. He stood not at attention. He stood to get attention. He stood in order to draw uh, eyes to himself. He stood partly to be seen. Remember, there are all kinds of people in this courtyard that would have been praying at the same time. He probably not only stood, he probably stood by himself. He maybe stood up front and center. He did it so people would see him. So he would appear that he was real righteous and also so that he wouldn't be associated with this lowly tax collector over here. He wanted to be separated in, in the eyes of everyone around him. And probably it means that he stood quite possibly with his eyes upturned into heaven as if he deserved an, uh, an entrance into God's presence. He deserved to get a, uh, 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 he, he deserved a hearing with the Almighty. He prayed, and notice how he's described. It says that he prayed this to himself. To himself. His eyes may have been turned upwards, but his heart was turned inwards. He was praying to himself. And notice the content of this prayer. Look at verse 11. He starts by thanking God. That's a good thing. How many times do we thank God? 
That's not bad. We should give thanks in all things. But he starts out by thanking God. But he thanks God not for his blessings per se, but he thanks God that he's not like other people. And notice the people that he compares himself to. He doesn't set the bar real high. He says, first, thank you, I'm not a swindler. Now, the idea behind that original word has to be ravenous. You think about a ravenous wolf. It's, it's somebody that attacks, it's going after something. And the idea here is that, that a swindler is somebody who takes the goods, the possessions of somebody else, even by force. Okay, so he says, I'm not one of those types of people. I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a thief and, and, and things like that. But he also says, I'm not unjust. I'm not unjust. This is similar to being a swindler. Only with a, a swindler, you're taking it by force. If you're unjust, and, and the, the terminology that's used has the idea of not taking it by force, but taking it by fraud. It's underhanded in your business dealings. It's being a, a kind of a, you kind of fudge the truth. It's, it's taking advantage of somebody's ignorance whenever you're buying or selling. It's, it's waiting till somebody is in a desperate condition and then taking advantage of that. You say, well, how, how, how would that look today? Now, I'm just going to go on a corporate scale. Have you ever noticed that gas cans cost a different amount depending on where you are? Because if you go to Walmart to buy a gas can, it'll cost X amount of dollars. If you go to a gas station, it's going to cost a whole lot more. Why? Because if you're getting it at a gas station, it's not because uh, that's, the, that's the getting place. You're getting it at a gas station because you've run a ga- out of gas on the side of the road. You've got to get some gas to get back to your car. So what is that? That's waiting until somebody is in a bad situation and then taking advantage of that. That's this idea of being unjust. It's underhanded in your business dealings. And he says, I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not, I'm not having extramarital sexual relationships. Again, he's not setting the bar real high. He says, I'm not even like this tax collector. Said another way, I don't wrong my neighbor. How many times have you talked to somebody who's, who's convinced of their own righteousness? They say, well, I don't need Jesus. Why? Well, I try to pe- treat people the way I want to be treated. I try to be nice to people. But listen... When you go to compare yourself with others, you're, you're looking at the wrong standard. Because we can always find somebody that's doing worse than us. And so he looks over there instead of looking up there. He says, this is, these are the people I'm comparing myself with. I'm doing pretty good. He should be looking up here and saying, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. Remember that? The guy that's always on TV, but wait, there's more. That's the way he does. God, look how good I am. Look at all these things I'm doing. But wait, there's more, God. I'm not through yet. You just, you just, you just wait. Here it comes. He says, I fast twice a week. Now, there was only one fast that was prescribed by the law. In Leviticus, I think, 16, 19, I think is what it is. One fast the whole year. He fasts two times a week. So, he can't point to any part of the law that says you should fast this often. Therefore, he's going above and beyond. He says, this is meritorious. This is, this is merit. This is looking good on me. I'm doing extra for God. And they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. 
Thursdays because they, they, they based it all on when they thought Moses went up to get the, the, the tablets of stone at, at Mount Sinai. They, they thought he went up on, on Thursday, came back on Monday. So they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And so, so he said, you know what, God? Not only am I keeping my nose clean, I fast twice a week. But not only that, there's more. On top of that, I pay tithes on all that I get. The verb tense implies that as soon as he got it, he tithed off of it. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't hold on to it and wait for it to grab hold of his heart. He said, you know what? This is going to go back to God in a tithe, just in case you're not familiar. A tithe is 10%. And he gave 10% of everything. And, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were notorious for this. Jesus got on to him because he said, you know what? You tithe off of even your garden herbs, which is not commanded. And again... That's not something that's commanded specifically. So, so this man's pointing, saying, God, look at how good I am. I'm tithing off of everything. I make sure to mention it. So get this. Here's a guy who does no wrong to his neighbor. He treats people the way he wants to be treated. He lives out the golden rule. He's going above and beyond in religious activities, and yet he's far from the kingdom of God. And like this man, you can try to try to keep your nose clean you can try and treat people the way you want to be treated you can be regular in religious activities you can give money to 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 the lord's work you can help out the poor you can do all these extra things but without jesus it's not enough because with jesus jesus is all you need it's not your good works plus jesus it's christ alone so we have one sinner that's there and he's praying and it's the pharisee the other sinner is the tax collector now, he was an outcast. He was the scum of the earth. He was a turncoat. He was, he was working for the enemy against his own people, getting rich doing it. And these two men came to pray, but look how different his prayer was. First, he stood as well, but notice where he was standing. Verse 13, he was standing some distance away. He was standing afar off. Now, the temple was really the temple complex. There was the temple proper and in the inner part of the temple there was the holy of holies that's where the the high priest would go once a year offer the blood of the atonement and so forth on the day of atonement and radiating out from that if you will were different courts or courtyards where different groups of people could come and and the closer you got to that inner sanctum the fewer people could go and so there would be a, like the court of the gentiles the court of the women and, and so forth and so there, there would be a place where, where you could go to pray. And this Pharisee evidently was in that court as close to the temple as he could be. And this tax collector was in that same court as far away as he could be and still be there in the courtyard to pray. Not only was his position different, but also his posture was. Rather than have this, this proud look of the self-righteous, he wouldn't even look up. He fixed his eyes on the ground. He was beating his breast, pleading for mercy. And notice what he says. He says, God, look, look in your Bible again. It said, God, be merciful to me, verse 13. Be merciful to me, the sinner. There's no list of accomplishments. There's no list of good works. There, there, he just said, I am a sinner. And not just a sinner. In the original language, there's a definite article. He says, be merciful to me, not a sinner, the sinner. In other words, if there's ever been a sinner on this earth, it's me. He says, I am the sinner. 
Have mercy on me. I've got no other hope. Last, I want you to see the prerequisite for justification. The prerequisite for justification. Now, if you've been in, in school, you know what a prereq is. It's a necessary condition. You've got to have this. So what is the prerequisite for justification? It's humility. Jesus himself says that in verse 14. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That would have been shocking. That this man, this tax collector, this rank sinner was justified before God and the Pharisee who was trying to live out the golden rule was not. Now what does it mean to be justified? To be justified is to be declared righteous by God. See, when we get saved, that's what happens to us. When we get saved, not only are our sins wiped, the, the, the penalty of our sin is forgiven. Yeah, that's, that's wiped away. But all, <clears throat> excuse me. also the Bible says that the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. So when we get saved, not only are we morally neutral, but we are actually considered righteous because His righteousness is credited to us. That's justification. And this tax collector was made right with God. He was justified instead of the Pharisee who performed all these religious duties. Why? Because he pled to God for mercy. He recognized that it wasn't on the basis of what he had done. It was only on, on, on God's mercy and His grace, His kindness, and His goodness. And he concludes in verse 14 by reminding us that everybody who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. As I thought about this, it occurred to me it's kind of weird to talk about or even think about spiritual pride in prayer. Because when we pray, we don't think about somebody being puffed up and haughty when they come to the Lord. Surely nobody today is like that, is, are they? Let's think about it. You probably know somebody that's a spiritually proud person. Don't say their names. You just picture them in your head. That person that you can't stand to be around them because they think that that there's something special to God. They think everybody else is wrong about everything except them, and they just have this attitude of superiority. Have you thought of anybody like that? Now, have you thought, God, I'm sure I'm glad I'm not like that person. Or even like this Pharisee. See how easy it is to fall into that subtle sin of pride? Of saying, boy, I sure am glad I'm not like that. Thank you, God. When, when our sin, we don't even recognize our own spiritual pride. We don't recognize our, our, our own shortcomings. And understand what I'm saying. It's good and appropriate to thank God if you've not gotten into some sin. It's good and appropriate to thank God if you've not fallen into some lifestyle. There's a big difference between, but for the grace of God, there goeth I, and thank you, I'm not like him. Big difference. And it's good and appropriate to recognize that it's only by God's goodness and, and His restraint that's kept us from getting into that sin. It's a big difference between that and saying, God, thank you that I'm not a sinner like that. See, this Pharisee, he may have been right. He may, have been, he may not have been like a lot of people in a lot of ways. But one thing that he was missing, he was like everybody and that he was a sinner. He'd done all these good works. He kept his nose clean. Jesus said in, in Matthew's Gospel, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of God. 
And what was, what was the righteousness of this Pharisee? He, he lived the golden rule. He was regular in his religious activities. He was given to the Lord's work. He was, he was fasting. He was tithing. He was doing all these things. How many of us as Christians fail even to live up to that, much less surpass it? Listen, you're a sinner, and so am I. And, and, and being mindful of that will keep us from being arrogant like that. Listen, there's a word in here for each of us. If you're a Christian, don't be puffed up with spiritual pride. You may not be where somebody else is. It's by the grace of God. But there's a word in here if you don't know Jesus in a saving way too. You can keep the golden rule. You can try and live out. You can try and live your best life. You can try and, and do good to others. You can hope that your good works don't outweigh your bad works. You can give money to the Lord's work. You can do all those things and still be a lost sinner. That's what this guy experienced. The only way to be made right with God is not through those things. The only way to be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Cast yourself on God for His mercy. Repent of your sin. Turn from it. And see, what's, what's sad is going to the Lord's house and leaving unjustified. What's sadder is to be like this Pharisee is to leave unjustified and not know it. He was, he was so certain that he was getting in. He never even examined his heart. And I, w- I would just plead with you to examine your own heart today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, I want you to examine your hearts to consider what you've heard, to consider what you've read. Are you more like the Pharisee who goes to God with a list of accomplishments saying, look at all that I've done. Are you like the tax collector that says, Lord, look at all that I've done. I need your mercy. The Pharisee looked at his, at his ledger sheet. All he saw were assets. He never saw any liabilities. The tax collector only saw his liabilities. But even his good works, his righteousness were as filthy rags. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you as you uh, move on our hearts. And we know that sometimes that is unpleasant. When you search us and try us and reveal to us our wicked ways. But God, we know that it's like going to the doctor. You may have to perform a painful surgery, but it's for our good. And God, I pray that if there's somebody today who is spiritually proud, 
who's approaching you with a list of all their good deeds. God, I pray that you'd help them to see it in light of how you see it. God, I pray that you would help them as they uh, as they do business with you. If it's especially if it's somebody who's never accepted Christ, let them see that their good deeds aren't good enough. Their church attendance, their giving, their their any of the other things are not good enough to get into heaven. It's solely an act of your grace. God, we pray that you would help each of us to live a holy life. Please forgive us of our sins. We know that we are sinners. And we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.